drinks and dessert with a special guest named Libra Green. If you want to go on and introduce yourself and tell us about who you are. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. My name is Libra Green, as she already stated. Uh, I'm a singer. I'm a writer. Um, I'm a producer. I produce my music. And I sing R&B music. I create R&B music. And I've been doing so for uh, quite a few years now. And, yeah, I'm just here to share and talk a little bit today and see what uh, which important things I can share and learn and, you know, all that fun stuff. Thank you. So just to start off like we always do with our drink and our dessert. So I actually drunk my drink earlier, and I made me a sour apple lemonade slushy, like, frozen martini. Wow. And then my little dessert that I finished, I just finished making a buttermilk pie, my great-grandma's secret recipe. So, and I ain't giving it to nobody either because she gave it to me and I had to beg as hard as I possibly could. for her. She don't give it to nobody. When you ask her for it, she says she forgot what it is and then she make you one. Now, I don't know if you have a drink or dessert, you are eating on or drinking on right now, or if you want to share it, you can. Um, you know, right now, it's drink-wise, I don't have, which, you know what, no, I'm lying. I have, so I'm used to going to the grocery store and seeing all types of different wines and things I want to try. Or I'll pick something up, look at it for like five or ten minutes, and then ultimately I decide not to get it. And um uh, <laughs> And I, I do this all the time. I, I just don't know why I have that habit. I just be like, no, nah, I won't get it. I won't get it. And I've done that with the, um, the wine margarita that's pre-made. And it's like, what, 12%, I think. And then I had the strawberry one. So I would always pick it up and put it back down. And, like, suddenly I started seeing people, like, take note to it on Twitter. And I was like, where have y'all been? That's been there. And I'm at, in my mind, I'm acting like I should have been tried that. So I would have known. So I could have been like, yeah, y'all, it's delicious. But. I, uh, I ended up finally buying it. So I have, um, let me see, look at the bottom, look at the brand. It is um, Gloria Handcrafted. And this is a, it's a ready-to-drink martini, and it's a wine cocktail. And this one is strawberry. It's made with uh, 100% the agave wine. And they use real lime juice. And, yes, 13.9%. Like, that's quite a bit in a, in a wine and pre-made margarita. So I'm like, yeah. you know. Yeah, I'm like, okay. I'm, I'm, and it was like $10. It's been on sale, like, all for the last, pretty much since quarantine began, since it became a big deal. And they have, like, a, I think they have a lemon one, and then they just have, like, regular margaritas. I'm not really big on lime. That's why when you were, you know, saying that recipe with the drink you made, now I was hearing all that lemon. I'm like, yes, that's that's the way to go. <laughs> I do not really care for lime. Yeah, nah, I'm a lime person. I was like, ooh, this sour. Mm, let me get more. Um, I have actually, um, with some Ben and Jerry's ice cream, I've been big into them lately. What flavor? It was, this one was fish food. Well, I've been hmm. on this Ben and Jerry's kick since quarantine started, which is wild because I hate strawberry, and I absolutely hate cheesecake. But the strawberry cheesecake ice cream is all I need and more. All I need. Yeah, that was my original favorite before I started expanding into their more decadent flavors where it's like a million ingredients. Like they got the one with the uh, potato chips in them. That's the one. I definitely got to try that one. 
And then, oh, yeah, and then my favorite is actually, well, actually, it, it might be fish food now, but my other favorite is the Tonight's Dough with, I uh, got Jimmy Fallon on it. I don't even remember everything. Oh, I yeah. Is there coconut in that one? Because I feel like I always stare at it and I never buy it, even though I don't know why. Not in that one. I think he has another flavor. That one might have coconut in it, but not this one. Because one of them has coconut in it, and I'm against all things coconut, so. I was like, yeah, thank I you. am too. Oh, thank, thank the Lord. Everyone else be looking at me like I'm crazy. They like, how do you go to the Caribbean? What do you mean? <laughs> what do you? Like coconut is trash. I'm all for coconut slander all day, every day. I love a nice coconut slander. I ain't gonna lie. I ain't gonna act like I'm not a little messy. Cause I like it. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it as well. Cause I just, I like, no, don't bring me no almond joy. Don't bring me no mouths. Like Ooh, I, then one of my grandmothers used to put coconut in the sweet potato pie. I almost like banished her from the family. I just, no, I just, I was that's not. an abomination in the sweet potato pie. Okay. But you know, didn't they call it sweet potato casserole when they do that? I, I don't know if, see, let me tell y'all something. Okay. So Libra Green Eye, we go back, way back, way, way, way back in the day when I was like in the eighth grade and he was in the seventh grade. I think we just a year a grade apart. Way back, let me tell you, there's this place we were from called in Rochester called the French Quarter. You ever ate there? No. You gotta go eat there. <laughs> and where is that at in Rochester? It's downtown. It's right downtown off. I, okay, I think it's off exchange. And the foot is based off the New Orleans French Quarter is a black owned restaurant. They house wings and they shrimp etouffee and they chicken Delicious, honey. Delicious. Well, they have sweet potato casserole. And I was so hyped thinking I was gonna eat some sweet New Orleans. Okay, that New Louisiana Creole Soup potato casserole, and they put coconuts in it. It's mixed in and either on the top or the bottom. I can't even remember. And then they get give it to you on, like, walnuts or something. And I was like, wow. It ruined my – when he put the plate, it was so crazy because my sister ordered it too. So when he sat it down, I literally saw when he sat it down in front of my sister, and he would sit mine down. I said, no, thank you, so you can take that back. <laughs> he was just like, what? I was like, you can take that back. He was like, are you, are you serious? And my sister was like, no, yeah. no, no, Eat it. I was like, girl, I see. And I told her, I said, I don't even have to, I can see the coconut sticking out. And she's like, oh, yeah, I love coconut. And I said, I'm not eating that. So then my sister ended up actually taking it home with her. And then ever since then, I've been going back and back and back again. Yeah. So you go back, you got to go and get their chicken wings with the house sauce. Which I really just think is mumbo sauce, so now I feel a little wow. trick. Oh. Now that I'm thinking about it. Wait a minute. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> I think I feel a little trick. That says a lot. So today, um, we're just going to be talking about, well, first of all, it's Pride Month. Happy Pride. And we're going to be talking about black LGBT musicians. And the reason for that is, one, it's pride. Two, I have been listening to a whole lot of Marvin Gaye lately. 
and I was having a conversation with someone where I was saying they should do a movie about Marvin Gaye life, but it needs to be a real good one. Not one of those, I mean, not the, you know, downplay Lifetime, but, you know, not a Lifetime movie, not a TV one, not a um, a BT. Although BT really did really good with the Bobby Brown and New Edition story. I think they did a really good job. But I don't want it like that. I want how they did James Brown, put him on my big screen. I would pay to go see a movie about Marvin Gaye life. And we were talking about that, and the person I was talking to said, well, I hope when they do the movie that they do not put in um, him being bisexual. I think that's a lie. I said it's not a lie. It's proven fact. Marvin Gaye dated both men and women. So we started on this whole – it started into an argument because once people gets me there, it it be I'd be going from zero to one hundred and I need to learn how to go from zero to ten to block instead of zero hundred block unblock to go off again and block again and then I move on because <laughs> <laughs> he had me a little angry with him and his life because you know it was and it was a black man I was talking to and I find that's really crazy because he's always like oh yeah other people need this and this and this and all of a sudden it's like Marvin Gaye didn't like me. And that's a lie. And then everybody, well, Quincy Jones said it after all those years. He had songs about him singing to me. This is not, other people have confirmed this about him, you know. So I wanted to just talk about, since it is Black Music Month and Pride Month, why not go ahead and talk about our pioneers in the music industry? And so um, that you are LGBT person. Yeah. And I listen to your music a lot, so I still play it and all that stuff. And you have quite a bit of music out there for the people to see. Like I said, you know, Leaper Green and I go way back. I remember it was, it was really where this memory just came to me. Do you remember that time we were on the bus on the way home and you wrote a song about being hungry and wanting breakfast instead of cereal? <laughs> yes, I do. I don't know why that memory <laughs> just Oh, that's hilarious. That so long ago. Yeah, that was, was, oh my God, that had to be like 2006. Yeah, I was ninth grade. So 10th grade, my school moved to a different building, and we weren't going to school together no more. So, and I graduated in 2010. So, yeah, that was like 2006, ninth grade. And I don't know yeah. why that memory just, that's not even what I was going to say, but <laughs> that memory. <laughs> wrote a song, and he was serious, y'all. Like, he was like, I was hungry, and my mom told me to eat some cereal when I wanted breakfast breakfast. And I'm like, well, why didn't you make the breakfast? And he was like, I just cleaned up the house, so the least you could do was feed me some breakfast. He wrote a song about not wanting breakfast, but wanting actual breakfast food and not cereal. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Man, I almost forgot that even happened. <laughs> it was so funny because I'm just like, yo, real hype on Monday morning. Like, what is he so angry about? Um, moving on, I just want to go back in time just a bit, a little bit before Marvin Gaye, which for some reason in my mind, even though, like, Marvin Gaye died before I was born, thinking of the time period that him and Stevie Wonder lived in and Stevie Wonder to still be alive – 
always seem like they lived at drastically different times. You know, like it always seems really odd to me that they yeah. lived at certain at the same time. But I think it's because when one person's been dead for so long or your whole life, it doesn't seem like they live within your time. Like not in your like lifetime, but just within your your time period. Versus Stevie Wonder was still is still alive and kicking. That's also because Stevie is a freak of nature. And it's funny because I think about that, too. A lot of the time I think about, like, I'll be like, damn, how old is Stevie? And then I look up how old he is, and I'm like, he's really not that old at all. And I just think about how (laughs) he keeps outliving the people he inspired. Like, he's outlived Whitney and Prince and Michael, and it's it's so sad. Like, he'd be performing at all these people's memorials. Like, I'll be feeling his poor heart. His poor heart. Like, he's seeing them all come and go. I know, I was talking about, um, like, Little Richard. Like, Little Richard dying was, like, oh, my God, a huge deal for me. And I love me some Little Richard, right? And I'm like, Little Richard is dead, who is not necessarily the creator of rock music, because we all know the creator of rock music is a black woman, just Rosetta Thart, but I almost said Lionel Richie. Woo, I'm losing my mind. Oh, hell. Let y'all know, let y'all know, let y'all know. Um... But, yeah, Little Richard, his death was so odd to me because, you know, people be old your whole life. Like, Little Richard has never been young to me. <laughs> He's been old right. my whole life. And we talk about, like, pioneers of pioneering, you know, like, trailblazers of trailblazers. Little Richard did not give too damn about anything. He was always himself, first and foremost. He grew up, you know, in the deep south, experienced a lot of racism, stayed true to himself, always lived his life, wore makeup, wore the shiny clothes, had his hair. Hair was always laid. I don't know what who was doing his hair back in the day, but him and James Brown, their hair stayed on point sure. always. <laughs> and he died, and I just thought little Richard was going to be about 15 years older than his actual age, and I was like, Little Richard really not, he's not that old. Like, Little Richard is out here. He said he lived a long life, you know, and he died of cancer, right, I think it was. So it was like, what if he didn't have cancer? She would still be out here kicking, still out here getting it, still playing music, still doing all these things. And I always think about, like, him as a musical like, genius. You know, no one was really playing the piano the way that Little Richard played the piano. No one was singing the way Little Richard was singing. You had all these little boy bands over in England or the UK. Honestly, I'll be a little confused sometimes. I do know my geography, but we're just going to act like we're just going to ignore it. I got a little liquor in me. It's okay. The memory lapsed sometimes. That's all good. But... (laughs) You know, like, he did also, like, look at the Beatles. There would literally be no Beatles without Little Richard. They listened to Little Richard and said, I want to be this man, this southern gay black man. I want to be like this person right here. This man who grew up in poverty had to do all this stuff to get his way to the top. And it's like the world forgot about Little Richard in a way. You know, I think people talk about timeless artists, 
and timeless people, and they always say, oh, well, da 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 And Little Richard is never mentioned. I asked someone the other day, and they listed all these artists, and I said, every artist you named got their career because of Little Richard. And they just stared at me and said, you know what? You're right. I wouldn't even thought of Little Richard. How are you not going to think of Little Richard, but you're going to think of James Brown? How are you going to think of Michael Jackson? Now, I understand that Michael Jackson did a lot of his stuff based on James Brown life. We understand that. But Prince and Stevie Wonder and, and James Brown did a lot of their stuff after meeting Little Richard. Almost everything they've done, well, not everything, but, you know, like their blueprint to, oh, I can be wild and free came from Little Richard. All that stuff is because of Little Richard, and I feel like no one ever opens their mouth. They should be absolutely thanking him, but not even to thank him, but to just even acknowledge that Little Richard was a presence in her life. And to think that we are going through Black History Music Month, you know, they're going through Pride Month, and Little Richard just died a month ago, and no one's mentioned him this whole month. How do you exclude Little Richard in a month that's for him, really, when you really think about it, you know? So I always feel like, especially with Little Richard being as free as he was, living the life that he lived, and not free as in being like a true self. I know a lot of times people use the word free for like LGBT people and for black women and have it like, Literally any marginalized group where people are living happily as themselves, they always want to call them free. But not even free in terms of that, but free as in he literally was able to create the music and the sound that he wanted, even when his record label said not to. He was able to stick to his guns and stay true and stay relevant because people think, I mean, like I said, no one's really thinking Little Richard. No one's mentioning Little Richard. But no one's ever going to be like, oh, Little Richard wasn't a musical genius. Like, Little Richard wasn't who he is. You hear a song and you instantly think of Little Richard when you know it's a Little Richard sample or a song or a sound. That's all very true. And I think one of the biggest reasons it happened is because I feel like his story just was not celebrated enough throughout the years. Like, he never got... And, you know, there is a, a the Little Richard biopic, but, you know, I just don't think it got big enough. I don't think it was made on a large enough scale. It wasn't something that got, like, shown in school. Like, you know, like, growing up, I got shown the temptations almost, like, every school year. I saw, you know, the, you know the, the movies you watch in, in school, you learn about those people. It's the same way, like, in history, you learn about Martin Luther King, you learn about Rosa Parks, you learn about the, the same types of people. And Little Richard is just one of those stories that, like he, his whole legacy gets swept under the rug for some reason. Yeah, and also and I think fine. a lot of it is also that little Richard. When you think of, I think a lot of times people, although you know, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm not saying this is like a clout thing. Nothing. Although talking about social activism, social justice, racial justice, and change is now a more increasingly popular thing, I think throughout the past, I'm going to say 20 to 30 years. What was that? 30 years ago. Well, 30 years ago, we were in 1990. So I'm going to say from the 90s until about 2010, there was a long period of, although people were always talking about racial justice and racial change, 
it was a that long, weird twenty year stretch where it was looked down on and if you talked about it it was oh my God, here you go. I mean, I got it all up until recently. But little Richard, when you think of people's music career, them being vocal, like absolutely vocal about issue black issues, little Richard is one of those people. You will never find an interview where he did not speak up for black musical artists. Almost everything he's ever done was to put on other black talent. And I think a lot of that is also what crippled his career at a certain point. Because he's already this outspoken black man. He's now sitting up here talking about racial change for black people, liberation for black people, liberation for LGBT black people. And that he started talking about that more and more and more once the 70s hit. And I feel like that's when his career started to go, not necessarily tank, because he still lived quite a well life, you know, um, after mm-hmm. he was able to get his master's back to Michael Jackson. But his career went in a standstill because no one wanted to sign him, which is drastically different than Stevie Wonder, because Stevie Wonder is the same kind of person. And I've noticed that people speak on the difference between the two of them, or I was speaking about um, Ma Rainey, who's the mother of blues, who was an LGBT artist, a uh, black woman, and you had, like, um, what is the guy from Duke Ellison, uh, Billy Strayhorn, I believe, who was an openly gay black man and the best friend to Duke Ellison and was writing Duke Ellison's music, was out here hanging out with Billy Holiday, you have these people like Josephine Baker, who um, is the woman who dates both men and women, and she's, you know, icon, idol status. She fought for wars and for justice and for peace and for change. And all these people who are conveniently left out of music history, they're conveniently left out. And then when it's mentioned, it's, oh, well, we don't want to tell, we don't want this person but men to look weak when we talk about them. We don't want, you know, visuals to look a certain way or be a certain way, which is shitty, to just put it simply. It's really shitty. And now you have all those people who paved the way. You have people like Stevie Wonder who's still doing a lot of racial justice and racial change, and people look at him and just say, oh, well, he's, he's a man's man. So that's okay for Stevie to do it, and it wasn't okay for Little Richard because all of a sudden Little Richard was putting on theatrics versus Stevie Wonder holding protests and standing with Martin Luther King Jr. That wasn't theatrical. That somehow was okay. Like, it's crappy. It really is. When you think about all these people who did all stuff, like Sylvester James, I'm a disco person. I don't know. Do you listen to disco music? I love disco music. <laughs> Um, I do like disco. I don't listen to, like, a great amount of it, but I do have, like, a great amount of love and respect. I actually got some disco vinyls that I don't listen to, but, yes, I have some. I, I'm a disco person. I don't know. All I listen to is disco and 1980s R&B. I listen to the 90s a lot because that's when I was born. So, you know, I feel like that's different childhood nostalgia, the 90s and the 2000s. But it could be because I was raised by my grandmother, you know, older people. <laughs> So that's the music I listen to. So, you know, everybody there. My mom was born in the 70s. So, you know, she wants to listen to the music. That's her childhood nostalgia. 
We listen to a whole lot of switching the barge. Ooh, Bobby the barge. You should talk about him too. But um, and Sylvester Jane is a openly gay black artist who is considered to be the queen of disco. That's what Sylvester James called himself. Well, I think he went just by Sylvester, but Sylvester James was dubbed the queen of disco, called himself the queen of disco, was out there making great, brilliant music, you know, with Donna Summer, like making great music, doing all these things, the seats, and no one talks about him in disco. And not only do people not talk about him in disco, but at the height of his career is when disco started to go down and when they talk about the fall of disco, that's the only time I've ever seen his name mentioned, ever. And the issue had became people started to blame um, LGBT people and specifically trans women for the fall of disco, which I found after doing, like, some research and stuff to be absolutely fascinating, but in a horrifying way, if that makes sense. Yes, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but, you know, like, all these music artists who did all this stuff and paved the way, and now you have, I feel like, I don't know if the world is more receptive. Like, you know, like, I can't explain. Like, I watch RuPaul Drag Race, and RuPaul has become a household name. Before, RuPaul used to be a joke, you know? Look at comedy in the 80s and the 90s. RuPaul was a joke. They made every joke about RuPaul. I'm watching Living Single right now, and I love Living Single. That's my favorite show. And they made RuPaul a joke on that show, too. Man, I say this all the time on all the 90s black shows. He's always mentioned. Wayne's Brothers, Living Single, Martin. He's been mentioned on them all. And it drives me crazy. Yeah, like RuPaul is constantly mentioned, and there's never anything positive. Which is wild, because when you think about it, Queen Latifah also, a openly LGBT black music artist, which, you know, I'm certain people who don't know she's a music artist. Like, I met someone, like my sister, my sister's only six years younger than me. She did not know that Queen Latifah was an actual rapper. I had to tell her that. Dang, girl, okay, because my sister didn't know. There's so many people out there who think of Queen Latifah as just an actress who just so happens to sing. As a pioneering girl, woman, she's a woman, that she is, you know? And it's so wild to see that, because I'm like, I I love me some Queen Latifah. That's one of my absolute idols. I currently signed up for uh, film school. I'm supposed to be starting in a few weeks. And that's literally due to me watching Queen Latifah do it all. And I'm like, Queen Latifah? Because I always say Queen Latifah and and Raven Simone, who just recently got married, Raven Simone could do it all. I feel like I can do it all too. Especially Raven yep. Simone because she's near my age. And so I always feel like it's it's important to know your history. You know, like I know I've talked a lot about literature. I didn't think I was going to do that. But I did because I get really upset about how people treat Little Richard. And I'm still so upset that he just died and no one has still to mention him this month. But, <laughs> um, yeah, so it's like, all the people who paved this way, and then you get to today where you get people like RuPaul, who's now a household celebrated name. When he was just a joke for 20, 30 years, 
almost 30 years of his, well, his career started really, really early, but once he started getting on TV and being mainstream in that way, he was a joke for 30 years. No one was taking RuPaul seriously. I remember when Drag Race first came out and we watched it, my mother and I, and I was like, this RuPaul, also, I used to think RuPaul wasn't RuPaul's real name. I thought, like, RuPaul had a different name, and then RuPaul was just a drag name. And then my mom was like, no. But uh, watching Drag Race and then seeing Drag Race where it is today, all the spinoffs and almost every single drag queen making music, and, but to see how they're all still now household names. And you have all these but putting out music, being on Broadway, like Peppermint was on Broadway, who was a, a drag race queen. She was just on Broadway, and she's a trans woman, and she was just on Broadway, and she got on Broadway on her own talent, but also through the exposure of drag race. Kingless Tifa is still out here. Like, I know I said a lot of people who are dead now, like Ma Rainey and Bear uh, Russell and Gladys Bentley and, like, Josephine Baker, all those people are dead. But the thing about people who are alive and still kicking, like Queen Latifah is still out here making moves, still making music. That has not changed. Still able to go on and be someone important. You know, you got, like, Frank Ocean. I personally do not care for Frank Ocean's music. I'm not going to act like I do. I personally don't care for it. But Frank Ocean don't really make bad music either. And Frank Ocean has a group of black men on his side, all his friends who are there on his side, has his back, you know, just down for him. Same thing with, like, Dexter Jordan. I don't know. I think, was that me and you? We talked about Dexter Jordan one time. Did you listen to Dexter Jordan at all? No, I don't think I've ever heard of Dexter Jordan. Well, Dexter Jordan is a singer, um, and he is, what, 28, 27? Birthday actually just recently passed. I discovered Dexter Jordan at a concert for My Future. That's what I like to call this particular man, My Future, for his fine self, um, Samo. <laughs> but opened up for Samo, and he is a wonderful singer. I think you will really enjoy his music is really great. He's from North Carolina, and he's an amazing artist. And the thing about him, he said something that uh, I thought was really important was that you need a support system. He thought that when he came out to do his music with Samo, because of Samo being the type of guy he is and stuff, he was nervous that the crowd, he was going to have to please the crowd. So he wasn't going to be able to come out with the blue eyeshadow and the lipstick and dress the way he wanted to dress. And Samo said, no, don't do that. You do, you come out however you feel. You do whatever you feel is right for you. And if someone in the crowd don't like it, they can be removed. And so, you know, support systems for all these people like Little Nas X who talks about it too, um, you know, being afraid to come out and not sure what to say and how the music industry was taken because he wanted to be taken seriously. So that that basically leads me into, because I know I've been talking, I feel like that basically leads me into, like, what a support system is and how that works in this industry. And, like, how for you personally, I'm not asking you, you know, for 
to share your like coming out story or if you had to do any of that, I'm not asking that. But as far as you being an openly gay man and making music and being in the street, like how has your support system been, especially when you look at the history of how some people just did not have any support at all and their careers are extremely short lived until we discovered. Yeah. Um so really my support kinda starts uh the beautiful thing about our generation and within our age group is that we've a lot of the foundations for our friendships start online. Uh, you know, we that's where we we meet friends, we uh romantic partners, you can meet anybody. Like I I was with somebody for six years I met on Twitter, my best friend, like my actual actual best friend I met on Twitter. And you know, it created a sense of almost family because you start to find people who are like you, you know, especially those of us who have spent so many years in our adolescence being ostracized or uh, just being different. Being, you don't even necessarily have to be ostracized, but maybe you isolated yourself because you didn't quite fit in with the kids or you just didn't like being around them, people who were, you know, introverts from back then. And you kind of find that, that you we're not a niche, but there are people just like you, and it's normal, and it's fine, and that's where it starts. And so that was really where I made a lot of friends. I, you know, accumulated a lot of followers on my, well, my original Twitter that got suspended because I tweeted some music. But anyway, that's the other point. But, you know, that's where the foundation for any bit of support that I do have. On the flip side of that, you find that a lot of those people don't support you like you thought they did, and that's okay because you do start to find out who is really there to support you. But um, and then there's also a strong sense of like of clickism within the like I would say the LGBT R&B Black community uh, that that does exist. There's a strong sense of like clicks when it comes to uh, within that sector, especially like on Twitter. But, you know, they're pretty close-knit and they tighten it and they don't really allow people in, I see. But it's okay because there's so many of us that do operate on love and on togetherness and stuff like that. So I don't really put too much thought into it, but I see it and I recognize it. But, um, the stuff, you know, it's really just where the support it begins. That's for me. It begins within social media and just finding common ground with other people that I didn't necessarily live in the same city with and that's where the support for a lot of people began but what I do find to be a problem is because you were mentioning like Frank Ocean and like Lil Nas X and all this stuff even like the stuff with RuPaul's Drag Race and everything it all becomes a niche you know it's just like that's that's their category okay we have their they got their own channel it's like it's, it's all this shit that's separate and it's like we don't they don't get to embrace this the, the regular people just like part of the part of the program, part of what's going on here. It's like it has to be a cover of Out Magazine. Like, I have to strive for that. I can't strive for cover of Vogue Magazine. That that would never happen. Nobody would embrace the kind of music that I would put out. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it has to be about a certain thing, and, like, as soon as it is, it has to be put into that category. It will never be embraced for the mainstream or – people aren't comfortable enough with themselves to embrace it openly. 
And it's like when I, when they pull out the Frank Ocean card, it's just, it, it, I roll my eyes every time because most people who like Frank Ocean are pretentious anyway. Frank Ocean's music is extremely pretentious, and Frank Ocean is pretentious. And people pull him out of the back pocket like a wild card. Like, oh, look, I support, you know, I support LGBT. I like Frank Ocean. <laughs> Frank Ocean is, is straight, quote-unquote, straight passing, first of all. He does not give off anything that that would be, quote-unquote, effeminate in any way. Anything that you, for the most part, you look at him, you just think he looks like a, quote-unquote, regular man. He's straight passing. So it's like he doesn't sing about anything that's like, oh, yeah, this nigga's gay. Like, even though he may hint at a few pronouns here and there or throw a boy or something in there for cutesies, it's just like he could be singing about anybody or anything in this, like, just because we know that he put that vague, mysterious letter out that one time, deciding he was coming out, and everybody kind of decided that he was coming out, even though he did eventually elaborate on it. But it was just like, yeah, well, that's going to be our, our mascot. So at least now we have somebody we can pull out our back pocket and be like, yeah, I listen to gay artists all the time. I love Frank Ocean. And the little Nas X thing is just like same thing with him. He had to basically create the biggest song in history to be acknowledged and then decide to come out, even though there were people already, like, dragging him out of the closet because they already knew they knew who he was and knew about his Stan account when he was uh, being a Nikki Stan and all this stuff, but he wouldn't admit to any of that until long after he had the biggest freaking hit in the world ever and made all this money and got commercial on for Doritos every five minutes. And it's just like you either got to jump through hoops to get the, the mass support or you just got to, you know, stay in your lane. You can't even be embraced in the mainstream, especially with R&B. Yes, exactly. It's um, funny that you say that because I know a lot of people who's, who really do say, like, oh, I listen to Frank Ocean. It's like, but that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, and even then, why is it? Uh, and it's sometimes it's not even about music, though. You know what I'm saying? Like they, it's, I feel like it's one of those. But I have black friends. Don't do that, because I'm gonna tell you right here, right now. Don't, don't you tell these people that. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Like that's great for you, but right now we're talking about buying, though. Literally finding businesses, and like I know I said support music and stuff, but we're trying to find black-owned businesses, LGBT black-owned businesses that we can support. And they're like, yeah, but we can. But I listen to all that kind of music too, so I think that'd be good. Like that does not have, like you said, the support through social media. Because I, I, I feel like people who downplay social media a lot are also people who are either not 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 necessarily saying that they are doing something wrong, but they're not navigating social media in the ways that I think they will have liked to navigate it. If that makes makes sense, kind of like that makes perfect sense. Yeah, like, I'm not, I never look at social media and think, oh, I hate social media. I learned so much black history from Tumblr, and then to go and be able to go to the library and fact check it and then find out it's all real, I learned so much from Tumblr. It makes no sense. And not even just black history, like, literal household adult themes to know, like, social media has the power to change minds. Because we're not going to act like it does not. 
You know, I'm not, I'm always for learning. I'm never the type of person to be like, oh, well, I always knew this. You didn't know that. I'm not that kind of person. So if it's something I did not know, so I'm not going to sit up here and be like, oh, yeah, I was always this, this LGBT ally person, and that's who I've always been. I would like to think that's who I've always been, you know, but when I look back on things, I used to really honestly, but I think Keith Powers did the same thing, and I was like, oh, no, the world's going to drag that ass. And they did, and he apologized, and he educated himself. But I was one of people who think, like, oh, there was never any black men who were bisexual. I just felt like I had never met those type of people in my life, so it just was not a thing, like, throughout high school and probably, like, I want to say freshman year of college, and someone turned to me and said, why would there be bisexual black women and not men? What makes you act, think that it was a thing that happened, you know? And I had to think about that to myself. And I said, well, why do I think that? What was presented to me in my life that I had this thought and I never challenged it, it just made sense to me. And then what happens if I do challenge it and I find myself being upset with myself? You know, you have to actively work towards knowledge. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people think knowledge is just, someone tell you something, now you know this fact. But if this is a fact you don't believe, you have the knowledge, you're just not actively working towards it. It's not something that you believe. And I had to actively work at how dare I have these LGBT friends, how dare I have these people I say I'm an ally to, and then I'm turning around looking the same people in the face and saying, well, because you're not what I think a gay person should be or a man who likes men should be, then you're fake. That makes no sense. That is extremely dumb. It is extremely ignorant. It is extremely horrible. And I had to question myself about that. And I remember thinking, like, I remember I was just so embarrassed and, like, mad at myself because I thought I was, like, this open person. You know, and I used to get upset and people would be like, oh, well, when straight people say this and that, and I said, but I'm not that kind of straight person. I go out here. I champion for LGBT people, I have all these LGBT friends, and they're going to talk about, like, straight people like this? And I questioned myself on that. And I said, well, why does that make me mad? Okay, something that I'm not guilty of can't make me mad. I exactly. felt like I didn't have this privilege. You know, I'm a black woman in America. Hmm. I go through all these things that black men go through, but worse. I don't have any kind of actual privilege. And then when I thought, well, I, and I remember I said that. I said, I don't, what privilege do I have? I, I do this. I'm still looked at like this. And I literally said, I just heard a white person say this the other day. They use the same as that thing I use when it came to black people that I just use on not only LGBT people, but I was talking about black LGBT people. I'm like, well, I have it bad, too. I'm a black woman. There are gay black women out there. <laughs> they have it worse. You know, like, I had to think, I had to think about it to myself. Why was that my thought process? And I'm not saying this in a, like, to give myself a kudos. You know, I'm not saying, like, oh, I'm drastically changed. or My viewpoint is drastically different, yes, and how I go about it and how I care myself. But it is 
being an ally is work. I feel like people think of ally as a noun, and it's not a noun. It's a verb. And being truly being there for the people you say you're going to be there for and educating yourself, knowledge to me is not a noun. It's a verb. It's an action. You need to be working on knowledge. You need to be working on your allyship. You cannot say, well, I'm an ally, and then when time calls for you to be an ally to whoever you're going to be an ally to, so the homeless, black people, women, you know, because there are literally, like, disabled, there, there are black, homeless, LGBT, disabled people. Hmm. You know, like, there's someone who fits that whole description out there. And you cannot say you are an ally, and when it is time for you to be that ally, you are not showing up because you're embarrassed or because you think that because you have it bad in your life too, that that other person either don't have it as bad or whatever the case may be. You know, I feel like I'm not saying this to be like, oh, yes, now look at me. I'm this great source of person. I don't know all the terminology that goes into it. Any new knowledge that I get, I'm very open and receptive to, and I try to try to learn um, about it, you know, and I try to do the best that I can to educate myself and then be active in that education of myself and other people that I can educate. But I can't act like, oh, well, in the past, I never thought these things. That's just ignoring the fact that I was embarrassed about myself. And a lot of times being embarrassed keeps me grounded and keeps me remembering that your dumbass really used to think like this. So people change. You know, you can't hold people. I should be like, well, you thought this thing five years ago. And they're like, that was five years ago. Do you know how much I've learned in five years, you know? With the things I've done in five years to actively undo those things, and they don't want their past brought up. And I get people not wanting their past constantly brought up, but at the end of the day, I can't get mad if someone from 10 years ago, I was a freshman in college 10 years ago. I have two separate college degrees and working on a third. <laughs> like, But I can't get mad if someone who knew me back in 2010 when I was a freshman in college and I made these stupid, ignorant statements that they'll never want to talk to me again. That's absolutely okay. But at the end of the day, not all violence is physical. And my mindset then was an act of violence on that person's humanity. So I can't get upset and say, well, I've changed, I've changed, I've changed, look at me now, to some person who my ideologies could have killed them. You know? So I just, I like, and that's what I think about social media, like, thank God for social media. Because I look back on the things I've said on, like, my little Facebook, and I was like, what in the hell? I said this thing. I, <laughs> like, the current me will be old me up. And that's just a sign of growth. You can't always be mad. It's a sign of growth, you know? So um, I just feel like moving over into social media being a huge thing and having a platform to express yourself and find others who are just like you, because that's my favorite thing. When you get on the Internet and you find a home with people, because one of my bestest friends I've met on the Internet too, and my best friends, I don't went, drove all the way out to New Hampshire 
to spend time with this person. This person was just here with me for my birthday in December. Mm-hmm. And I met this person on the Internet years ago, and it's like, it's wonderful to have social media help guide you into life. Because people talk crap about social media, and it's always, it's always negative. Like, people say that all the time on Facebook, and I don't understand that, because anything I don't like, I just delete. <laughs> I'm not, I don't act like that's not who I am. I would just delete it out of my life. And my Facebook, although everybody right now is obviously posting about, you know, Black Lives Matter and stuff, wonderful for social media. And, like, I understand music platforms are different, but in terms of, of family, people, I think, shit on social media because they are not using social media in the way they would like to. Not in the way that they should be. I ain't going to tell no one how they should be using their little social media. Do what you're going to do. I'm going to block you, but do what you're going to do. You know? But they're not using, the, using it in the way that they would like to, and now they feel stuck in the system of something that they created. Hmm. No, I was just going to say you, you said definitely a word. Okay. So, you know, we talk about music, your music, um, and how, you know, history shaped music today. And I think, like I was saying about Little Richard being a pioneer and, like, Ma Rainey being a pioneer, Sylvester James being considered literally the queen of disco and only ever mentioned as an issue to disco because he's a black man. And, like, Marvin Gaye and Queen Tifoyette, and all the people we talk about, all these people, including Dexter Jordan, who is an artist who put out really great, soulful things and writes from the heart and sings from his heart and just being great and amazing. And I think it's always, like I said, I think it's always important to know your history. I have some questions about, or questions for you, because like I said earlier, I've been doing you a long time as a writer. First, I feel like that's how I first met you as a writer. And then more into you making your own music, being your own, because you were your own producer, right? You directed your own yep. video. <laughs> you write your own music. You you do that's what true. it takes. And I think it's, I mean, to me, Personally, I think it pays off because I see the screenshots all the time of your ads popping up. And for me on Instagram, I only get music ads if it's aligned music I haven't listened to before. So, you know, I get your ads and I get other people who see me post something like, oh, whatever. And they're like, oh, did you post about this person? Or like, you talk to this person on Facebook sometimes. I'm like, yeah, another person. Like, oh, yeah, there are ads popping up on my Instagram today. Oh, I gave it a listen, especially like Silly Moves was like when I was being like really advertised a lot I kept seeing and I have tons of friends now who are like, Oh yeah, we listened to that song because not only did we see you talking to him once like him commenting on your Facebook and we my friends, we all know we we be clicking up some comments on their friends and they comments. <laughs> yeah we do. <laughs> yeah, so, I do that too, so <laughs> like we do we talk about some like I met a guy one time Literally was like, I don't know you, but I saw recently that y'all was hanging out, so I clicked on your picture, and I saw that you and your mom were celebrating her birthday. I was like, boy, what? I just met you at my homegirl barbecue today. And he was like, I'm not going to lie. I wanted to know who these people was commenting on my homegirl stuff, too. And I was like, that's true, because I clicked on your page, too. So here we go. That's real. <laughs> that's real. 
Yeah, like it he, is. That's what social media that. is. That's how you find people. <laughs> that's how you find people. But they say things like, "Oh yeah," because whatever. And silly moves was like the main one. They're like, "Oh, silly moves like really good." And then they start listening to other things. So um, I just have some questions about some of the songs that I like the most by you. You have okay. I have quite a few, but I wanted to know. Obviously, we talked about like how you got your start. And I don't know if you want to now say, because I don't know what was going on with the audio earlier, but if you want to now say who, like, some of your inspirations are and stuff in music and then um, answer the question about just how the song, but anyways, the song In Love With Myself came about. On, it's on Being Green, I think that was. Yeah. yeah. So... I mean, I don't put me on the spot to answer some of these questions, but no, I really no, like it's fine. I mean, I'm prepared. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the thing about the, the artist that I was most inspired by is, like, I never was adequately prepared with, like, or armed with a knowledge of any LGBT artist, especially that came from the eras of the people that I was interested in. So, like, um like Michael, of course, I love Michael and I love like, but a lot of the influences of mine mostly are women, like Mariah and Brandy, and like when I was writing my album, I was listening to a lot of like Amy Winehouse and SZA, and like SZA was, was out at the time, so that album came when I was going through album control. It came out when I was going through like a lot of uh, stuff. I was going through a breakup and had a lot of things to write about and it just like was hitting home for me in a lot of ways. So there was that and you know, but I didn't I never really I'm I'm more in the process still actually of, of working backward because I never learned anything growing up. You know, like I said, they sweep those a lot of those legacies under the rug. I learned about Sylvester watching Unsung on T V one and you know, even with Little Richard, like Little Richard will pop up in things that I've seen, and I'm like, oh yeah, I know that's Little Richard. So then I started to work backward from there, and then I learned so much stuff because you know, you you tend to, especially with our legends, the way they treat our legends is like we hear about the things, the terrible things in their later years. Like we'll find out about there was some stuff that he had said that he was, like, speaking out against homosexuality and stuff, and, I'm, and he was getting more within the church. And I'm just like, that's almost to be expected. I wouldn't even, like, bother by it because I'm like, I know everything he's done and accomplished and what he stands for and what his name really means to the world and to music and stuff. So I'm like, I wouldn't even bother by those things. But those are the things you left with a lot of the time because that's what, the media prefers to push out to you. They'll talk about Michael Jackson's ailing health. They'll talk about Whitney and the, the drug bathroom, and they want to give you those things, but they don't ever want to, you know, celebrate them in those later years. But then once they die, they put them up on this pedestal like they were the ones there all along when it was like those core fans, like a lot of the, the black people are the ones who was trying to keep them up the whole time. But that's beside the point. But, yes, I don't really – never really had much of an influence from LGBT artists that I knew about until I started to dig further in and I started to learn about. Sylvester was really the first one I really learned about. But, um, yeah, so my question was about In Love With Myself, which is on Being Green. That's so right. I have, some, I think, three songs I want to talk about. So. Um, what was, I don't know if you hopefully remember, like, the inspiration behind 
in love with myself and what that's about. Because that was when I first listened to Being Green, that was like the only song I liked. Like, through, I always find one song I like. I play it out mm-hmm. for three weeks, and then I go and give the whole thing a listen again. So that was the my play it out song on there, and it's on my <laughs> little drive playlist. So <laughs> I just wanted to know what you, you know, your thoughts and all that stuff in the process of in love with myself and the story behind it. Yeah, so that song is now 11 years old. If I know. Oh, wow. It was the first song. Yeah, it was the first song I ever recorded. So I went to, of course, I was going to the same, still going to the same school, John Marshall High School. Uh, mm-hmm. I had two music. At this point, I think I, I think that was the year I had two music classes. Um, just because I was not really, like, interested in anything else but music, obviously. And, um, like, if there was a class I didn't need, I'm like, no, just, you know, take me out of the class, give me music. Like, at some point, they were trying to convince me to stay in this stupid math class because it was, like, the only class I needed to get me an advanced Regents diploma. I said, I don't care. I'm going to be a star. I'm like, I, I was like, let me drop this class, give me my early dismissal. <laughs> I was so irritated. I said, I don't want this class. Me and this math teacher are not getting along with each other. His name was Mr. Simpson, I think. He was a black man. He, he did not like me, and I did not like him, and we made that very clear to each other. I said, I'm, 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 I'm dropping your class anyway. I'm like, so forget you. I'm going to drop your class in the fourth block. I'm like, I can get early dismissal. And I did. So I think, yeah, one of those school years, I was going to have two music classes. And, um... My had had a the first time I it was a new he's a new music teacher. Uh, everybody knew the other music teacher, Miss Taylor, somebody I'm very close with and stuff was in the band and all this stuff. Like you know that was that was my ace bone cool. I was like my best friend, so you know. But the other music class, I was like, I, anytime there was another music teacher, I kind of felt oddly about it. I'm like, let me get a feel for who this person is. But I actually had his class this year, so I was like, okay, we'll see. And so I met him and. You know, he was a nice dude, a white guy, kind of quote-unquote nerdy looking, as they say. Um, he's got glasses, and you would just, I don't even remember what my like first, first impression of him was, but, you know, he was cool, but he kind of let them walk all over him a little bit for a while. But um, there was a point in the class where he was talking about, like, making music and, like, you know, if anybody writes songs or whatever. And I was like, well, like, I have a song. And, um... So I had it written because I was in, I had like, you know, a little teenage relationship. There was a boy that I had a little teenage relationship with, and uh, he moved. And I don't know, I was feeling a little oddly about it because he was, I think he was with somebody else, and I was on MySpace, you know. This was back in MySpace <laughs> days, of course. So I was being nosy on MySpace, and I think I was either, I was insinuating or assuming he was with someone else, so I was like, that's where I came up with the first. Um, I think I made the biggest mistake of my life. You flipped right through my fingers and found a new guy. That was part of a whole other song. And so, oh. um, the really how it came to me was the just the melody was the I let my ego take control. That was uh, all by itself, and I just I couldn't I couldn't let it go. So I just started writing. I wrote it down, and he. Um, he happened to have it in the notebook, and he just was like, anybody writing songs or want to write songs or something along those lines. And, um, 
I would sing it, and he went to the piano. He started playing the chords as I sang it, and he just, like, kept doing it. He, he wrote the chords down on my notebook. And then, like, at the end of the class, every day, we would work on it some more. And before you know it, and it was, it was maybe one of my first classes of the day, so sometimes I would be late. <laughs> there was one time I was so late that I missed the whole class. I was like, oops, <laughs> my bad. And that just happened to be the day they were working on my freaking beat for my song. So they produced it in class that day. It was the teacher, oh. Mr. Murphy, and, like, two or three other students. They was like, yeah, they were working on your beat today. I was like, oh, shit, and I missed it. But I came in, he played it, and I was just like, hmm. And he was like, yeah, you want to record it? We can record it after school. So and there was one day I came in, and I recorded it, and I think I – and I was jealous because it was me and my my best friend at the time, Angelica. She was writing songs, and they did the songs together as well. But it was more – they put more into hers. And I was like, my, my little one-take song. And But I'm cool with it. And then I got to perform it at, like, a an awards ceremony at school. It wasn't a lot of people there, but it was fun. And, uh, yeah, that recording, that was the first time I recorded. And that was, like, March of 2009. Wow. See, and I like that song. I was like, I'm gonna listen to this song all the time. That also be my issue. I need to listen to a whole thing because if I get two songs in, and your second song is lit, I don't even hear the rest. <laughs> and I'd be like, that's my that's be my issue. But that song is towards I think the end of of it. Yeah, I put it at the end because it was oh. such an old song. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's at the end. So I think I had already listened to it all, and I got there, and I was like, mm, "This one's already good, but I'm just gonna play this one, this one track. That is it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna play it for a little bit. That's that's all you got. But it's called Heart Off My Sleeve. Um, it has a big like track list. It's what 18 songs, or 18 tracks long, and really good. I listened to it like when. First, put it out because I'm gonna tell you the type of person I am. When people put out music, I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna listen. And then I'd be months later still talking about, I'm gonna listen. So I was like, okay, I already know. So other people listening to it. Some people listen to it, like, oh, you what? And I'm like, okay, let me go ahead and listen. And I do that sometimes. And I'd be like, this, this would, would really be. My problem, but one song that I really like, and this is my, I call it my morning, I have a playlist of morning travel songs that I play when I'm on the bus and on the subway to work in and out of New Jersey to New York City. Wait, I get to the bus stop whenever the bus comes immediately because I normally run and I get there in three minutes. Get on the bus. Oh, you have a song called called Front Street. I freaking love this song, you know, like, I don't know what, sometimes I hear a song, I'm like, oh, I, I don't know what it is, I don't know, I think it's like the beat, I don't know what it is, but I really love that song, strong, strong, <laughs> I really love that song, so just give us the people a little, a little thing on the song. Yeah, so, <laughs> it's funny because a lot of, uh, a good portion of that album like I wrote before me and my ex broke up, but some of it ended up kind of applying to either situations that we were going through or how I felt about them. And that actually <laughs> happened to be one of the songs. But I, um, 
it really just, a lot of the songs just start with me trying to come up with a beat, something usable, and that was what happened there. So I opened the uh, Logic program I used, and I just was going through the different sounds, and um, I opened up the keyboard, and I came across this, those notes, and then, dun, 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 and it just, I was like, I, for some reason, I heard, like, a, a backing drum in the back of my head, and then I just kind of put it together. And, um, you know about people it, it, our it, drum. <laughs> right? And um, <laughs> it just reminded me of, like, a police interrogation. And so uh, just the difference of the, the suspenseful like, feeling I got from the beat. So I just kind of from there went to the, the first verse and they called me Detective Lieber, called me a private eye, you know. And so it just kind of developed from there and then it became the song that is. Oh, that was listening. I was like, this song is, it's a good one, honey. Do you want to, um, to like, tell the people what the song is about? Yeah. Um, Front Street is essentially about when someone, you get somebody trying to catch someone in a lie. You know that they've been lying and you're just like, okay, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be honest. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to put you on front street. I'm going to let you know that I know, and I'm going to give you a chance to <laughs> confess, to admit to it, to own up to it, and I'm, you know, me anticipating your reaction. And it's me basically being like, okay, I'm going to put you on front street. I'm, I'm ready. I'm waiting to see how you're going to handle this, to see how you can work your way out of this one, because there is no way to work your way out of this one, but I'm very curious to see how you are going to handle that. But, yeah, that's basically what that song is about. Uh-huh. I think when I heard that song, I had caught someone in a lie that day, too. I ain't going to act like <laughs> I um, didn't. But now that I think about, let me see. Let me see. Cause I remember when I said I was going to listen to the album, and I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to listen to it today. And I was I was heated, and I was in my car. And I was driving to Rochester. So this had been months. This had to be, did I go to Rochester in July? This person, you know what, 2018 was the year of lost friendships. And like, amen. Fuck them hoes. But I had caught <laughs> my ex-friend in a lie when I had asked her if she had told this guy because this guy I was talking to and he said he didn't want to talk to me no more. And I said, okay, that's fine because I don't care about these men like that. Go on, live your life, honey. I am in graduate school. I live in a whole different state right now. Think I got time to worry about some man in Rochester when I live in New Jersey? No. But then someone else had came and told me that he said he wasn't talking to me no more because I had said that he was like guy number three, which he was. But then I had to remember. And then I was thinking I was mad with him because I was like, you knew I was dating four men. But because you wanted to be guy number one, and then you can't tell me you want to be guy number one when you're dating a whole other woman too. And I know I'm not girl number one. I live in a different state. Stop playing with me. See, this is what I'm talking about with these men. These men think they, they got, got me. I ain't the one. So then hmm. I thought. Only, I only told that to one person, 
only one person knew. So when I asked her, she said no. And then I said, she's lying. So when I got to Rochester and I said, I'm going to ask you again, because that was my last night there. I was leaving Rochester. On my way home, I listened to Back to Jersey. It's about a five-hour drive. I was listening, and then front street came on. And I said, you know what? This song about Stacy. <laughs> and I ain't got Stacy, why Stacey, you lying, she girl? See, then she's going to try to admit it, like, months later. So I'm saying, yeah, I said that because, because she liked him. That's all oh, you had man. to say. And then what happened? He played her. So now look at you looking like Boo Boo the Fool twice. See? When you do dirt, dirt, come back to you. <laughs> and then you have um, another song on there called Can't Cope. So you can give us a little, um, give us a little that with, you know, what the song is about and how that came about for you. Yeah, Can't Cope is um, essentially about me and my ex. It's like not even a general song. It's like specifically, literally about me and my ex. <laughs> and, um... Like no, there's like there's no way around that at all. <laughs> we had been broken up for by the, by the time the album came out, it had been a year. As a matter of fact, I think um, I released it a year and a day after the anniversary of when we broke up. That was because a lot happened in that time frame. But really, I put it out on my dad's birthday because I lost my dad in the process of all that crazy stuff that happened between 2017 and 2018 anyway. But that's yeah, the yeah. point. So he and I broke up, and there was this guy that was that he was really good friends with. Um, that They met on Instagram, actually, and uh, they were, like, really good friends. But their friendship intensified during a very weak moment in our relationship. And I eventually found out that they had something going on, and, it was just a big whole mess, but basically they ended up together after we broke up and I had a lot of problems with it, but I just, I wasn't functioning well on a daily basis. I just think about it every day. I would see things on Instagram or somebody would uh, ask me about it and send me a screenshot and stuff like, cause we had so many people that knew, knew the both of us and, so it just mm-hmm. came oh, from. I, do I, I don't, don't know why. What the other person is doing. Why do I care? Do not sing what the other person is doing. But then that, the the crazy part is like when it's an ex, you don't want to see it. But then there's always that curiosity. So I'm like, oh shit, let me see it, let me see it. And mm-hmm. that just was not good. So it just was <laughs> born out of that my inability to cope. And I just and I think there's also is because there's a brandy song. Another release song of her called Can't Cope, and it just, I think that title always stuck with me. And I wrote that title down first, and then I think I ended up, I had two different songs. The one was that, the first part, that's like acapella, where it's more, there's actually a, like a structure to it, and that was supposed to be You Can't Cope, but I never finished it. I didn't really work on the production enough, but I still wanted it. But I had this other beat that I just wanted to, Right, that that part I didn't predict, but I um I wanted it to. Be, I was kind of inspired by like Janae Aiko and the way she has these songs that are like her freestyle songs, where she just kind of just going and going and going and going, and it doesn't really have any like structure, no verses, no chorus, where she's just kind of going off on either the guy or about something or just kind of just singing repeatedly and you know just letting it all out. And that was where 
you know, I was inspired by that. And so that was where Can't Cope came from, where I just was, I was just was writing how I felt about everything. And it was just kind of the idea. And then the placement of the, where I put it in the album, it was just kind of like an idea of everything kind of culminating, coming to a head, and just me getting everything out before I actually move on and make whatever decision I'm going to do next. And, uh, yeah, that's how that came about. Mm. That was like, this song deep. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those <laughs> longer songs, too. You know, the, when a song is long and someone's talking about some deep stuff, it's real deep, you know? Mm-hmm. It's one of those, I watch TV till the TV went off. You know, I mean, I grew up in a time when TV didn't go off, but I understood when I was four years old, the hurt that man felt, even though I was just four. <laughs> he's sitting there watching he just went off, you know. <laughs> his girl left, you know, like his friends were saying they seen him around. That's what I thought about when I was to that song. I was like, look at this song, <laughs> like that song right there, because I never personally experienced heartbreak. So, I, you know, when I hear songs of heartbreak and they be deep, I'm like, dang, it was going through something. If I sitting up here, can't feel it, because I ain't never experienced that before. <laughs> So I was like, he okay? What's going on? Let me listen to the next one to find out if he okay. Because sometimes that's how it be. You got to be like, what's the next one? You're right. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> the option of Silly Moves or Almost Tissue, that's on Left Hand Legal, which is the EP that came out this year. Or not this that year. Came out... It was weird. It seemed like a few months ago. It seemed to me is a weird year. That was what? It does. Right before... I put it out on my birthday, and it does feel like a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah birthday is October 11th. I think it's important that I talk about silly moves. So the idea of silly moves. The, um, so with silly moves, I found that I was going through a lot of, um, like, the same types of things with, like, guys. And because at, at that point, I've been out of the relationship. I've been through it, past it, whatever. I'm finally able to move on. I really – and the common theme that's on that EP that you'll find is that, like, you know, me looking to – looking not looking for love, but just being ready to be in love, ready to embrace it again. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it's only the four songs, but you can kind of get it through the four songs. And, um, right. you know, so the idea of a silly move is just me going through all the different things with the different people and it failing for one reason or another. And I'm just like, you know, I'm tired of making silly moves. I'm tired of going nowhere. And, you know, I'm tired of throwing my hands up in the air. And, what, you know, all the, how the, the song goes, how it goes. But yeah. it was supposed to kind of be me taking a look at my own choices and my own decisions in these instances rather than me looking at as the opposite on the album I have men period which is about you know men period and how much I hate men and all this stuff and <laughs> it talks about the, all these specific instances of, and then none of that was like made up stuff it was literally instances of this person saying this to me this person okay I'm involved with a guy who's married and got three kids and I'm just like okay so where do I go now and silly moves with me looking at my own actions and being like, okay, I'm tired of making silly moves. And so it was me kind of embracing the person I am and being and kind of laying it all down on the line for the individual and being like, okay, so 
I need this. Are you going to be able to do this? I'm looking for a big supporter here for, you know, like everything I'm looking for, everything I need for the person. And because I'm tired of doing the same shit over and over again. So it was just, it was a good moment for me because I, first of all, I produced it, which anytime I produce a, a beat that is usable for me, I love and I'm very proud of myself. And I was <laughs> able to write to it. I was like, oh my goodness, this is so good. I was very proud of that song. And it took a lot to get it because I went to this one studio and the guy, like, it was like hell. Like, he kept the song and then he was like, trying to, he was supposed to send it to me and supposed to fix it and give me the mastered version. And then he was trying to charge me more. And I'm like, no, you're not going to charge me more. But I am definitely not working with him again. But anyway. And every, it's like everything with the song took an extra amount of time. Like, even when we filmed the video, it took, like, an extra month or two to get it back because the guy who filmed it was – he's actually also from the Rochester area, which I thought was crazy, but I met him here. Oh, wow. And because, um, yeah, I found him on Craigslist, actually. And then when he texted me, he had a 585 number. I was like, wait a minute. Um, even now, as I write for my next project and start to record, I still find myself – falling back and doing some of the same things. I saw, I just be like, wow, this song really is my life. And that's actually how I feel about that entire EP, with maybe like one exception. But I live them three songs, especially Silly Moves and then like the one that comes after Like Me Like That. But like that EP, I really was just writing my life yet again. And it's just crazy how much I go back and I listen to it. Some, I listen to it a lot of the time like it's not even me. Like I don't even feel like I'm listening to myself because I'd be like, bopping along with the words and I'm like, yes, yeah, you gotta sing this and I'm like, oh wait, that was me. So I just <laughs> <laughs> I think like a okay, well, when you put workout and you like, yes, this is like, no, like wait, 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 yes. So come together, yeah. so get it together. You write it. It'd be the best. Yeah. Especially when you work hard nothing, for it. Like you know, like you work really hard. Nothing better, better. There's nothing better than finally putting yourself out into the world the way you want to be received and want to be represented, like, you're like, okay, good. Like, even if nobody likes it, I can be proud of the fact that I represent myself. Like, okay, woof, that's the weight off my shoulders. Even though you do want people to like it, but you can be like, okay. That's why I always tell people, like, I don't necessarily care what somebody's opinion is going to be about me as long as the opinion is going to be based on the truth. I'm like, don't be out here lying and then, like, oh, somebody develops an opinion based on a lie. But I'm like, if you don't believe the truth and you're going to make an opinion that way, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, if you don't like it because you found out that I like pineapple on pizza, that's fine. At least it's fact. <laughs> exactly. Well, what is next for you? Well, I am uh, working on an album of some sort. I have I have an idea of how many songs I want it to do. It's not going to be as many, <laughs> of course. That was 18 <laughs> tracks was a lot, even though, even though, like, there's some interludes and there's an intro and an outro. Yeah, it's really two, like, if we scale it all back, it's really, like, maybe 14 tracks, I think, but still. In a couple of weeks, actually, I'm putting out a song. Um, I'll be, of course, all the uh, the details and stuff will will be available shortly, but putting all that together so I can formally announce it. But, yes, in, in July, I will be putting out a song very soon. And, um, yeah, all that, I mean, you know, you know, I'm a supporter of you, obviously, because I don't have people in here. I don't really support like that. But 
you know, I'm a supporter of you, so I obviously believe in you. I always believe in you. I always believe that you'll make it and have great success and be a great person. You know, you've always, you know, there's people who just always been stand up, regardless of how much time we physically spent together, you know, because we haven't physically seen each other in probably over 10 years, but regardless of physically spending time together, seeing each other, I still feel like you're still a great person and your actions and the things that you do are still really great for yourself, for your community, uh, like, the, you know, like your family, your friends, and for your music community as well. I think you do really great things. That's why I'm constantly, whenever I find something, I'll send it to you and make sure you get the exposure that you need. So, yeah, so thank you very, very much for coming on here and getting your talents and skills to Drinks and Desserts podcast and to the world because, you know, you're out there. You're doing things. You're putting out music. You're hosting yourself performing. And you're you're doing everything to me personally from the, I guess, outside looking in because I'm not, you know, really well-versed in the music industry. But to me personally, it seems like you're doing everything that you possibly can do for yourself and your for your career. And I know COVID right now has everybody on lockdown, on stop, on pause, so it's been hard to perform and all that stuff. But people can still find you out there singing and doing what you do. They can listen to your music. It is Lebo Green. He's on you on Spotify. Well, I only have Spotify. So if you have other platforms, is your music available everywhere on the Apple, on the Google? Are you yeah. on the Amazon Music? Are you on I'm everywhere? I'm my music is on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, anywhere you listen to music, YouTube, it is there everywhere. And it's L E E B R U H. Libra. Spelt that way. Not Libra like the Zodiac. I mean he is a Libra like the Zodiac. But it's not how you spell Libra like the Zodiac. Okay? L E E B R U H. Make sure you spell it correctly don't do it <laughs> okay so once again thank you for joining me at drinking desserts i don't make myself a second drink honey i'm about to cook <laughs> thank you dinner. for having me i'll talk to you next time all right, all right bye bye